Hello, Scaling Up Nation. Trace Blackmore here, your host for Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. And folks, we just got back from the annual Association of Water Technologies Convention and Expo. Of course, that was September 11th through 14th in Palm Springs. You better believe I got some great information there and I received so many accolades about this show. Thank you for all of those people that came up to me and let me know that this show means something to you. Several of you gave me some show ideas, gave me some people to interview. And I really appreciate that. That makes sure that I can keep this show going. And while I was there, I did some interviews as well. So I've got a whole bunch of material that I'm going to be releasing very shortly so you can get even more up to date on all the water treatment technologies that are coming out there. But I want to let the Scaling Up Nation know, and I'm sure you already know this, I'm sure everybody's going to the beach and taking a vacation and celebrating and taking the week off. Okay, maybe you're not doing that. But next week is Industrial Water Week. James McDonald, friend of show, declared number one fan of Scaling Up H2O. Last year did the first Industrial Water Week. He got it declared as a global holiday. That's going to be October 7th through 11th. And every single day next week, we are going to be celebrating a different part of water treatment. We're going to start off Monday with pre-treatment. Tuesdays is all about boilers, Wednesdays is cooling, wastewater is Thursdays, and then we wrap it all up with careers on Friday. This is what I have done this year. I have collected questions from you gracious people out there in the Scaling Up Nation. I'm answering those questions. I've interviewed people at the Association of Water Technologies Convention and Expo that just happened a few weeks ago and you are going to be hearing each and every day from myself and these people talking about those five topics. So it is my hope that as you are celebrating Industrial Water Week, you are listening to Scaling Up H2O each and every day. We're going to bring you a new show to celebrate Industrial Water Week. And it's my hope that we all learn something as we're celebrating Industrial Water Week. You know one of the reasons that I produce this show is I love to learn. And I hope this show makes it easier for you to learn things about business, about industrial water treatment, about sales, about all the things that we talk about here on this show. But I want to point out a big tool that I use to help myself learn new things. And of course, that tool is Audible. Audible is the tool that gave me reading back. We are in the cars so much, and that's why the podcast is such a great format for us water treatment folk. But it is very hard to read in the car. It's very hard to read when you're in front of customers. It's very hard to read when all you're doing is water treatment service 
each and every day. Well, Audible will bring your ability to read back because you can do it while you're driving from account to account. Don't take my word for it. Try it out for yourself, and you can do that with a free month and a free book on me by simply going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash audible. Nation, I am so excited to bring this show to you. One of my great friends, Blaine Nagal of H2Tronics, is on the show today. We're going to be talking about equipment. And I know everybody out there in the Scaling Up Nation got into the water treatment industry because you simply love the equipment that we use. Is this thing on? Okay, well, maybe that's not why we got into the water treatment industry, but we all realize that equipment plays such a great role in everything that we do because it runs our programs when we are not there. It makes sure that everything is going into the system exactly when it needs to go into the system. Folks, it allows us to go home at night. Otherwise, we would have to be there each and every second of the day to make sure that the right amount of product is put into the system. And of course, we're keeping concentration ratios and all that stuff where it needs to be. The only way we can do that is to put some sort of electronic piece of equipment on the wall. Well, today we're gonna to talk all about that because Blaine is an expert in all things equipment. So please help me welcome my friend, Blaine Nagal. My lab partner today is Blaine Nagal of H2Tronics. Blaine, you and I have tried to get our schedules to meet up to do this interview. It's finally here. Thanks for coming on Scaling Up, man. I've been avoiding it as long as I possibly could. The, but I wore you down, I tracked you down, and you knew the path of least resistance was to just come on the friggin' show. That's what I that's exactly right. Well, Blaine, I, I'm really excited to talk to you. You and I have been friends for years. You have a unique perspective when it comes to water treatment equipment, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But I want to make sure that the audience understands who they're talking to. So who the heck is Blaine Nagal? Who is Blaine Nagao? Blaine Nagao is a person that has been doing this far too long. I think I started about 20, I want to say 23 years ago with ChemCal. And, uh, you know, through being a water treater and getting my CWT, and I was hired basically to start up an equipment group within that company, modernized equipment, part of that company. And as that evolved, and we got really good at what we did, and we had others wanting to uh, do what we do. And you know, here comes Aceutronics. In the meantime, there's been a wife or two, three kids, and uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And Blaine, part of that fun is you are a fellow scuba diver. <laughs> so how cool is that? Yeah, my favorite thing to do. So it is why I work as well. And if I could figure out a way to record this show underwater, you better believe I would do it. I've got a tattoo on my back of a dive flag that says, underwater I live, on land I survive. Well, there you go. So uh, what more could you ask for? Folks, if you're not a scuba diver out there, you don't know what you're missing. Well, Blade, I'm curious, how did you get involved in the water treatment industry? We all have a story. What's your story? Mine's a funny one. I was a, uh, I was a manager, a retail store manager for a company that's gone now called CompUSA, back when you know computers were thousands of dollars and, you know, you can make money selling them. 
And Steve Dumler, my mentor and, you know, second father, was a customer of mine. And, you know, Steve was the kind of guy that liked to come in and he always wanted to talk to the boss. So he and I became close and started hanging out a little bit. And I got transferred away uh, to open another store in El Paso. Kept in contact with him about once a month. He'd call me because he got a different car or, or something. And he uh, always asked me if I wanted to work. I uh, was going to be transferred to California. And he asked me at the right time. And I said yes. And he stopped and got really quiet. And next thing you know, I was in a moving van with my wife and two cats on the way back to uh, Dallas. Well, there you go. So just like me, Steve wore you down. Steve wore me down. Yeah. So the secret to Blaine to get him to do what he should do the entire time is just to, to wear him down into that decision. My mother and my wife could both uh, cooperate that. <laughs> well, Blaine, let's start talking about equipment. And I think it's safe to say that nobody gets in the water treatment industry for water treatment equipment. It's a necessary device that we have to have that allows us to go home and our program to continuously run until we get back. You can say the E word. It's a necessary evil. I know everybody hates that, but if we could all, if we could all find a magic way to spew chemical into a system without having to pump it or plug anything in, we'd all do that. So... And I will say that uh, in your marketing literature, uh, for those out there in the Scaling Up Nation, spew chemical probably should not be included. But that, that's just my opinion there. It's a, it's a technical term. <laughs> yes, I learned it, it from, is. I learned it from Jim Lukanich. <laughs> also friend of the show and very unique individual, I will add. So, so let's say we have a water treatment program. We need some equipment. And we want to be able to go home after we set this thing up. So what are some of the basis, what are some of the baselines that we need to look for that the equipment needs to do? And I guess we should probably pick out different systems. So uh, let's say a cooling tower system. What's the most minimum that we need that equipment to do? Well, you need to control connectivity, blow down. You need to feed a buy side or two, preferably two. And you need to feed your scale corrosion inhibitor. So you need to have four relays, some sort of way to control those relays, whether they're timers or percent time or bleed and feed or bleed then feed or, you know, whatever your poison is. Chemical pumps and the right plumbing. And I can't stress enough the correct plumbing. We will, we'll, we'll talk about uh, installation in a little bit because you do a great job with that. But that, so that, that would be the basis for a cooling system. What about a boiler? Well, boiler systems are more complicated, right? Because you've got to look at things like pressure, feed points. It's not as easy to just throw a new feed point in a boiler system. Sometimes, you know, you have to deal with what you're given and, you know, you need to feed sulfite in the proper spot. Sometimes you have one injection point. Sometimes you have a whole bunch. Sometimes the boilers are on constant makeup. Sometimes they're on on-off makeup. So, do a good survey and understand what you're getting yourself into and make sure you're not spinning your wheels. You don't want to feed sulfite where, you know, sulfite's not going to work. And you need to make sure that if you want to feed your boiler product based on feed water flow, that you can actually get feed water flow. Now, the biggest thing is pressure. Understand your pressure. I see a lot of people who show up to jobs with a misunderstanding of boiler pressure. So, Blaine, it sounds to me like the bottom line is you need to do a very diligent survey. And you need to absolutely understand the equipment that you're treating. And then anything else that you bring in, controller pumps, any of that stuff has to make that program work for that particular system. 
That's exactly right. And the key point there is you have to understand. So to write something down on paper doesn't necessarily mean you understand it. You really have to go through and really understand what you're looking at. If the customer tells you the boiler is running at 100 PSI, probably go find a gauge or two to look at or look at the, the nameplate specifically on the boiler is the best way to find that out. If they say the feed water temperature, the feed water flow is is controlled this way, go put eyes on because terminology, semantics are the, are the devil's in the details. So sometimes someone will say something and they mean something, but, you know, we hear supply return on cooling towers all the time. But what does that mean? Trust, but verify. All right. So we talked about cooling tower systems. We talked about boiler systems, boiler systems, a lot of variables out there. So let's stick with cooling tower systems. You said what the basis was that we need to have, but I also understand that there's a whole bunch more that we can bring to the party that could make our life easier. So what are some of the additional functions that controllers will do today? Well, they'll do, obviously, the big one now is inhibitor feed based on a trace. So PTSA is the big one. Um, There's a bunch of People in that category now that sell sensors, they all work great. Uh, it's easy to do all the, all the questionable legalities, I think, are behind us. And, and that is really, really taken off. And it works really, really well. Sensor technologies with all of the new push for, for Legionella monitoring and control, you know, sensor technology and looking at direct read chlorine or chlorine dioxide or things like that have come a long, long, long way. Bromine sensors corrosion sensors have become cost effective whatever that means you know but there are things that there are things that are out there now that people kind of recognize as luxuries before but they're really not you can buy you know a pts ptsa sensor for a reasonable amount of money corrosion probes are 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 reasonable i think walkin just released one this week prominent has one out now there's just a whole bunch out there now that work really well Blaine, one of my favorite things that the controllers will do is remote monitoring. Yeah, that's a whole nother world now. I can't think of any mainstream controllers now that don't do that. Again, that used to be the luxury. That used to be the, the, uh, the exception, not the rule. But I, I believe, if I'm not forgetting any, I don't think anything released recently does not have remote communication ability of some sort. And most don't require any kind of software anymore. Most let you get on from your cell phone, so there's no excuse. Um, cellular modems become cost-effective. Landlines have all but gone away, so good luck getting your customer to bring you a landline. It's my understanding that the cost of running a landline is about five times what a regular cell modem is now. Huh, who knew? Yeah, yeah, there's, the, the analog phone lines are just are, are a thing of the past. People just don't have them, and the service forms are real expensive. So cellular... Coverage is getting much, much, much better. And a a lot of industrial facilities have repeaters within the buildings. So that's part of a survey, right? Making sure that if you do promise a cell modem that you can get get service. And if you can get service, whose service is it? You ask the customer, is there a repeater in this building? Because a lot of big manufacturing facilities need their their employees available via cell phone. So they'll invest in a, you know, an AT&T or Verizon or whatever system within their building. You'd be surprised how many of those exist. And you don't know until you ask, right? You gotta ask. So that's all about controllers. Are there any new technologies with pumps? Believe it or not, pumps are probably the most advancing technology right now. And it's all just in smart pumps. Pumps that you can hook up to with your cell phone to span them. We all back in the I say we all back in the day, even 
10 years ago, spanning a proportional pump, which is a great way to do a lot of things, feeding proportionally. We can talk about that. But uh, that was a nightmare. It was a a myriad of embedded menus on a one-line screen that you had to kind of dig through and hope you got right. And nowadays, pumps, you can hook up to your computer, span them, set them all up that way. You can tell a pump how fast it can go. There's just all kinds of technologies now in pumps. On the horizon, there's a whole bunch of pumps with embedded controls coming out, pumps you can connect sensors to. You know, the base of a pump, a diaphragm pump or a peristaltic pump or whatever you're using, is the mechanics of it haven't changed much, uh, though there are some better technologies out there, but the mechanics are the same. The electronics have really, really evolved. And again, back in the day, going back 20 years ago, to buy a pump that would do these things was two or three times the money, and now it's really not the case. It's more the norm. One of the coolest features that I appreciate is the fact that you can, through your remote monitoring feature, you can tell if a pump is actually primed or not. That's just cool. You can. You, you certainly can. You can You can do that a couple ways. You can just simply turn your inhibitor pump on and watch it and see if your tracer comes up right. Even though if you just put in manual and watch it come up, you can tell if your oxidized and biocide pump's primed because you can turn it on and watch the... Uh, ORP go up, again, sensor technology, same with pH, whether you're feeding acid or caustic. There's a lot of things out there now. There's sensors, and you may be alluding to that, that you can put on your pumps to let you know that verify that the pump's primed. Um, Some are qualitative, some are quantitative. The ones that are quantitative are costly. The ones that are qualitative are great because they do let you know your pump's primed. But I would caution people on on remote monitoring, never assume if you're going to get online and see if your pump's prime, never assume there's not an operator sitting there looking down the barrel of that tube when you turn that pump on remotely. So I can't stress enough, when you log into a customer's facility, if you're going to turn a pump on manually, make sure they're aware of that. That's a great point. And I can't help but notice, you know, you mentioned three ways to, to verify whether the pump was primed using all the different technologies that are available to you. So if somebody was new in this industry and they're now just staring at a controller for the first time, you and I spoke in the beginning of this show before we started recording, you know, there's no showroom, as you mentioned, that you can go to and just play with this stuff. So how can somebody become familiar with this equipment? Yeah, short of going to the AWT conference, there's really not a place I know of just to go touch everything. And the best way to do that, and and it's the same way you want to choose your supplier, pick a supplier, get multiple suppliers in. All the major suppliers have really, really highly skilled factory reps that'll come visit you or your distributor will and have them go through demos with you. And those demos are instructional. So not only have them show you what it does, but how it does it, how to work it. All the major manufacturers have invested in some really, really high-end people that, that, will, that will visit you and show you how to do these things. There's some online things you can do, and there's some simulators. But in my mind, until you open one up and see how the wires land, and you, know, you want to buy something you're comfortable with. And if your hand doesn't fit in a controller, you big, big old sausage hands like mine, then you probably don't want to pick the smallest little controller. Good point. It's, it's, it's little silly things like that. Um, people always ask me, how do you choose a brand? Just like you choose a car, features and comfort. Blade, you talked about installation earlier and where you used to come to the AWT and used to share with the AWT audience all the wealth of information that you have about equipment. You taught me something that I use to this day. Whenever you're putting plastic on plastic and you're threading something in to always turn it the reverse way so you're loosening it 
until you hear that click and you know you're lined up and positively guaranteed every time you will never cross thread that fitting. That is true. That is true. I learned that from you, buddy. And I have taught that to probably hundreds of people. So you never know what ripples you're going to make. That's even more true with, with, with metallic fittings, especially stainless. Because stainless, believe it or not, is pretty soft and it cross threads real easily. And if you don't do that, that's an expensive piece of PVC is sometimes not too bad depending on what you're cross-threading, but a piece of stainless could be some work and some costs. So yeah, that's a, that's a great thing. Well, and of course, you know all these things because, you know, you've made a lot of mistakes as, as we all learn. And because of that, you've come up with some great ways to install things the right way the first time. What are some of the tips that you can share with the Scaling Up Nation on how they can improve their installations? First and foremost, do not undersize anything. If you think you need three-quarter inch pipe, run one-inch pipe. We've all, and I, I think you included, have cut a piece of pipe out and seen it about one-third the inside diameter because, you know, stuff comes out of solution in the system. Um, there's no substitution. There's no substitute for flow. So the first thing I recommend is making sure that you don't save $25 on pipe and run three-quarter inch pipe. Also, do not be afraid to ask your customer for, for the basics. If you walk into a plant and there's no taps to inject chemical into the header, don't be afraid to ask for those taps. If you walk into a plant and there's a half-inch tap, they want you to feed a controller that's 100 feet away with, do, do not be afraid to ask them to upsize that tap. You're the one that's ultimately responsible if it fails. So you need to ask and document that you asked and document that you uh you know, that you shared the ramifications of not doing that. You know, the other thing is making sure that everything you're doing is compatible with what you're using. If you're feeding acid, use CPVC. If you're feeding certain, you know, just verify with your technical group at your company what's compatible with your product. And that goes for tubing. It goes for tanks. It goes for pumps. All those things up front are, are a big help. If you suspect, if you have a really hard water system and you suspect you're going to have things come out of solution after an injection point, put a T at the end of that line that you can simply unplug, put a plug in it that you can take and clean. You can run a bottle cleaner through there or shotgun cleaner and, and clean that line. Little things like that are, are next to nothing to do up front and will save you an awful lot of problems. So if I go on a survey and I see that they have the latest 1982 HIDAC controller on that wall, how should my conversation go with that customer? If it's a HIDAC, it's probably still working. So you're not going to say this thing doesn't work anymore. Likely, it's probably still working. But you want to you explain to the customer what's out there and what's different. You know, all joking aside, that controller is going to be a connectivity and possibly a pH controller. It's going to do bleed and feed or percent time. It will not allow for level sensors. You're not going to be able to put a PTA sensor or an ORP sensor on it. So take the time, you know, grab some literature, bring it with you and talk to the customer about what's out there now and how it benefits the customer. Because, it, you know, it benefits you as a water treater because it makes your job easier. But it benefits the customer because you're, you're tasked with protecting their system. And the best way to do that is with the right tool. If you want to ensure that your product's in a system, monitoring with the tracers, a great way to do it. If you want to ensure that you're feeding by side, monitoring with a sensor is a great way to do it. And it's not just a gee whiz cool thing to do. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's to the benefit of everybody. It's a detriment of everybody to not feed it. There's no downside. So 
maybe joke a little bit about the HIDAC offer to buy it from them so you can put it on eBay and sell them something different. <laughs> put it on the museum wall back in your shop. Yeah, I wish I was joking and that never happens. But unfortunately, here in Atlanta, that happens more than I'd like to admit. I see it in bid specs still. Customers send us bid specs that are copy and pasted from must be 1973. Must be Google, saw you troll, must be hideak this. You know, it's, it's, I wish that didn't happen either. But, you know, that's, that's, that's the kind of effort sometimes people put into writing their bid specs. So. I always let the customer know that they have not spent any money on their water treatment program for well over 35 years, and, and now's the time that they need to do that. And ROIs, I'm not a big ROI guy. I'm not a big fan of throwing out just arbitrary numbers to people, but it doesn't take much to justify or five or $10,000 worth of equipment. It doesn't take much electricity or water at all. And in, in our world, that seems like a lot. That's years worth of water bills, electricity bills at home. But in, in, a, in a hospital, that's a week. And that's a feather in your customer's cap. If they can go back to their boss or director and say, look, I, I invested $5,000 in equipment. I saved $15,000 in water and electricity. And here's how I did it. That's a great point. And here's how I did it. And you help your customers do that. Makes you a hero. Makes them a hero. And the job gets done right. And then I get to sell some equipment to somebody, which is even better. That's right. And it makes your job easier. You can now do the job that they have hired you to do. If someone calls you and says, my tower's not blowing down, if you can log into the system and you can hit a button and you can watch water go through the water meter and you can, and you can or not, if they think it's blown down too much and nothing's going through the blowdown meter and you can see that remotely, you might say, hey, go check your float. There's all kinds of things you can do to make yourself look really, really smart, you know, that are, you know, common sense things, but people don't think of, you know, under duress when their cooling tower connectivity is one cycle or a cycle and a half or whatever. Which is a bad day in most cases. That's a bad day in most cases. And also, to my point earlier, a great way to justify the expense of this, this equipment, because how long does that take in a, in a two or 3,000 ton system to spend a lot of money if you're overflowing? Blaine, I don't know what the dead band is on the HIDAC, how accurate it is from when it turns the bleed on to when it turns the bleed off. But I know we can get very precise on the controllers that are on the market today. So I would say just that alone should save, depending on how large the system is, a tremendous amount of water. It will. You can run the math. And I used to do this. I don't have it in front of me, but I used to do this in my, in my AWT class. You can run the math between controlling cycles with a 100 micromode dead band or a 10 micromode dead band. It's significant. If you err on the under on 100 micromodes, you know, in an example, I think I use like 300 micromode makeup water. It makes a huge, huge, it's, it's, a, it's, it's thousands of dollars a year. And uh, that's some real money. And to your point on dead band on, 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 on towers, yeah, you can set that. But if your valve's way, way oversized, you're never going to hit it. So, again, making sure that your, your, your equipment's proper. A great dead band on a controller doesn't miraculously fix the fact that you have a two-inch blowdown line on a 200-ton 200 200 cooling tower. Great point. That's, that's definitely something I'm sad to say that I've seen more than once. Glenn, you mentioned bleed and feed and percentage of time. What are the different options that we have now to feed our inhibitor products? Well, you have, you have the, the, old, the old standby bleed and feed, uh, bleed then feed, feeding based on a water meter. I highly, highly recommend that you do that on makeup, not blowdown, because blowdown isn't just what goes through your blowdown valve. Blowdown's dripped and blowdown's overflow. So feeding based on makeup is a great way to do it. You have standard percent of time 
You can feed based on load. If you, I mean, it works great. If you have a customer that can send you tonnage as a 4 to 20 signal to your controller, you can actually, I've done it a, a lot of times, you can actually do a proportional inhibitor pump based on load. And it works fantastic. It works really well in places like a, an arena or some place, a school that comes up and down, up and down a lot. Well, you know, where one week they require 500 tons. And when George Strait's playing, they need, you know, 20,000 tons. So uh, load following feed is something that works really, really well for inhibitor. And then, you know, obviously the PTSA sensors that are out there. So, and the HIDAC cannot do that. Great controller, but there are so many more options out there. Uh, they make our job easier. And there's so many options out there. How do you choose which one you're going to go with? How do you choose which brand you want to use? Everybody who I represent is going to cringe right now. You do it based on who you like, what you're comfortable with, and who's going to give you the best service. And that's it. There's not a piece of equipment out there. And, you know, all the manufacturers kind of stand by to to send me yucky emails that's that much better than anything else. Um, there really isn't. The technology has gone to a point where everybody makes quality equipment. It comes down to service, your comfort level with your distributor, and your and your comfort operating your comfort level operating the piece of equipment. Some people like buttons, some people don't like buttons. Some people want to hook a laptop up to do something. Some people just don't carry a laptop. You know, it's just you've got to pick something that you're comfortable with. It's, it's just like buying a car. Uh, nowadays, all the cars have huge warranties and all get you from point A to point B and they all have DVD players and navigation, all that kind of stuff. But you want to, you don't want to buy one from a dealer that you just don't want to be serviced by. And, um, it's just really that it's, it's that, it's that simple. Um, we're a, we're a, we're a device agnostic company. And, and I, and I truly mean that if, um, if someone likes something, they like it for a reason. And unless short of it not being able to do what they want it to do, I'd always encourage people to stick with that. Blaine, what's something that you see other water treaters do that you just want to take the opportunity right now and say, stop doing that? You know, it's, 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 to me, it's aesthetics. I'm a big, I'm a big aesthetics guy. You've seen some installs we I've done through the years and systems we've designed. Stop doing things quickly and cheaply take the extra five minutes and and square things up you're at the site two hours a week two hours a month whatever that may be but that everybody walks by your piece of plywood screwed to the wall with a controller on it every day and that's just not that's like walking around with your shirt untucked it's just not the right thing to do i think the biggest mistake water treaters do is they just they get used to doing things the way they've done it and they just keep doing it that way. You throw a pump on a drum, and when it leaks, wrap a, wrap a, a rag around the tube. That drives me nuts. And, and it sounds outlandish, and it sounds ridiculous, but I'll bet you seven out of ten accounts that I've walked into in my career have something as ridiculous as that going on. You know, a pump leaking with a bucket underneath it. Uh, brittle and brittle tubing where the where they come in, and instead of replacing tubing, they'll just cut an inch off, stick it back in the pump, and wrap a towel around it. Those are the things that just drive me nuts. It just, it just, it's, it's, it's our industry. I love our industry, and it's our, it's our, you know, it's our little corner of the world. When someone walks in there, when the chiller people walk in, or the ice maker servicing person walks in, or the whoever walks in, I hate that they see water treatment as this, you know, pit in the corner of a in the corner of a room. 
I love that you say that. I tell my guys uh, here in Atlanta all the time that that's the only bit of real estate that we own. And that tells that customer how we feel about their account. And if uh, we, we would never see a, a towel wrapped around a pump in a, in a bucket there. But if a customer saw that, what would they think we're going on as far as our treatment program? We got to have pride in the work that we do. Talk about teeing one up your competitor. Exactly. Yeah. Please, you know, here's uh, here's this account on a silver platter. I don't deserve it anymore. And folks, if you've got towels on pumps, you don't deserve that account. And everybody out there listening can think of one time they've done that. And sometimes you have to do it until you can get something in there to fix it. But days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months. And next thing you know, you know, it's, it's just there. So we've all done it. I know Trace hasn't done it, but I may have. <laughs> so you you mentioned the installs that you do and folks the stuff that h2tronics does is just it's beautiful it is just amazing what you said the attention to detail it looks right each and every time but i know that just didn't happen and i know that because you do so many installs you found some time-saving tips when it comes to installations that hopefully you can share with the scaling up nation you got anything Yep. The single biggest tip I can tell you is do as much of what you can do outside that 100 degree chiller room, that 110 decibel, 100 degree chiller room as possible. Prefab as much as you can. Walk in there, take measurements, take pictures, figure out your space needs, all those kind of things and build as much as you can or have somebody, hint, 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 build you a, a, a panel ahead of time. Nothing good comes of putting your tool bag on top of a drum this that's Murphy's Laws covered in bleach and trying to screw things together while people are bumping into you and it's loud and it's hot and you know it doesn't smell necessarily great do as much as you can outside the room and it's, it's a silly tip but that's my biggest tip do as much as you can outside the room and now instead of hanging every single controller, every single pump and running all that line, I just simply have minimum four wall anchors and I can connect the lines up. Yeah. And, that, and that's great. And, and I love that because that's what we do. But I'm talking about, you know, at your office or if you work from home at home, plug everything in, program the controller before you go to the site. Check your pumps before you go to the site. Don't put chemical in them, but make sure that they power up and make things okay. If you're going to mount them to something, mount them to whatever you're going to mount them before you go to the site. Check your communications and make sure everything's set up before you go to the site. No one wants to do all this stuff with uh, Joe or Betty, the operator, breathing over your shoulder the whole time. No one likes doing anything that way, whether it's fixing a car or ordering a hamburger at a restaurant. No one wants someone breathing over their shoulder. So do as much as you can ahead of time. That way, if you need support, something's not working right, you're not quite sure how to get something programmed correctly, you're making a phone call, not in a chiller plant or their cell service. It's Again, it seems simple and it seems a little silly, but do as much as you can ahead of time. That's a great tip. Now you've got everything installed and you think everything's working. What are some tips that you have to verify that it is indeed doing what you think it should be doing? Water treatment 101. If you're, if you're and I'm making numbers up, if your inhibitor feed rate's 100 part per million and you think you should have 100 part per million of PTSA and your PTA sensor reads that, that's great. And it's 99% probably right, but run a test. 
run a test. E- equipment is equipment is equipment and equipment fails. Uh, everybody's equipment fails. So don't don't start a system up assuming that everything's right. It could be something as simple as maybe your product's not right. You just never know. So when you start a system up, run the ORP up, run a chlorine test, run your inhibitor level up, run an inhibitor test. If you have to run a phosphate test or polymer test, no one likes to do it. You know, make sure that your that your blowdown valve opens up. Make sure your blowdown's going to the right place. Just because your blowdowns you take an account over and the blowdown valve was blowing down to where it goes, if there's a little fish painted next to the drain, just because the person before you didn't pay attention doesn't mean you're excused for not paying attention. So make sure that your blowdown's going to an approved place. Trace the garden hose connected line and make sure it's not running to a field behind the building. You know, I see these things all the time. You have a lot of accounts that bleed through a garden hose plane? I've done a number of surveys, a number of surveys where they've had garden hoses hooked up because the drains over, drains clogged up and they've run it out to a field behind a building. This has happened. I bet you I've seen it 10 times in my career. And again, days turns into weeks, week turns into month. And next thing you know, you have a big marsh out back of a legal blowdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got all this equipment installed. We sold it. We've convinced the customer all the wonderful things it could do. We got it up on the wall. It looks perfect. We've, we've, we've verified that everything's working. How long should it last? Well-maintained. I would say, and, and I, I, it's, it's a weird answer, but I'd say almost indefinitely. I, you know, electronics nowadays don't necessarily have a shelf life. I mean, sensors will need to be changed. I would say that you should plan in your connectivity sensor lasting several years your ORP and pH sensors need to be checked. And depending on the you know, water quality has a huge impact on how long pH and ORP lasts. But those are consumables. And, you know, I'll plan on at least once a year for that kind of stuff. Pumps will need to be rebuilt probably every two or three years. Tubing needs to repl- be replaced. If your tubing starts leaking and you start getting little cracks, your tubing, the solution is not to cut it shorter and hook the same piece of tubing up to the pump. It's to rerun tubing. I know it sucks, but you rerun the tubing. But the base equipment, to your HIDAC example earlier, that happens, right, Trace? You said that that really happens. You walk and you see 40-year-old or 35-year-old controllers on the wall. Absolutely. And that's with electronics that aren't anywhere near as good as they are today. So I know there are a lot of areas in the country that get more power spikes than others. What are the effects that power surges have on the equipment, and should we be preparing ourselves to do something, maybe put a surge protector in there to protect the equipment. Yeah, you know, all these controllers, based on everything we've just discussed, are little computers, right? These controllers are way more powerful than the computers I sold at CompUSA back in the day. And you catch a computer at a wrong spot, you get a little power surge, and you corrupt the software, and it's a bad day for everybody. So yeah, if you have a, if you have a a situation, I don't, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, I don't make a habit of it probably should. But if you have a situation where you have a, a, a part of the country that's subject to bad power, power is pretty good nowadays, but to, to, to bad power, definitely surge protect it. And that means a real surge protector. Um, everybody, you can buy industrial surge protectors. Um, you know, people like Walkhead and Prominent, they all sell ones that'll screw into their controller that are, that are designed for industrial surge protection of the controller. The thing I see that impacts controllers from a surge standpoint, probably more than anybody else, is a lot of places like hospitals exercise their generators, so they go on standby power, like once a week or once a month, and sometimes that'll cause some issues. And then the you know, obvious weather concerns. What's the most common reason you see that equipment fails? You know, I don't know. I would say probably neglect. 
physical physical damage is a big part of it. I don't we don't see a lot of equipment fail just because physical damage doors get left open mud daubers get in them rain gets in them people hit them with things wires get pulled out people short things out and i'm talking about the main quote-unquote brain right the box itself sensors i see go bad fairly often just for reasons like people that if a system turns on and off at night they don't think about trapping the water and the the sensors sit dry for periods of time I see that as causing a bunch of issues with pH and ORP sensors, but you know it's usually neglect, it's or, or physical damage, and then the occasional power surge. Again, they are computers. You, you walk up to your computer and you get the the blue screen of death that we all call it. Well, the, that same screen though it could be gray or purple or whatever on on a controller does exist. Also, you get you walk up and your controller's stuck in a constant loop. You call the manufacturer and they say it can't do that but you're watching it do it <laughs> and nothing's working. So let's talk about, let's talk about that. So you call the manufacturer up and you say, I've got this issue. And they're like, oh no, there's no way you can have that issue, but I'm seeing it. It's right there. What do you do then? We're all guilty of that. I'm, I'm, I'm so guilty of that. Uh, you know, that's, that's the thing you never want to say. And that's the thing that people don't want to hear is I've never seen that. never seen that before. Well, there's a first time for everything. Right. And that goes back to how you choose a manufacturer, right? The support. You want a manufacturer or person that you deal with that gives you the benefit of the doubt that when you're calling them, you're not calling them just because you're not making it up. That being said, there's some things you need to do first, right? You need to unplug the controller, plug it back in. All these things they're going to ask you to do, do that ahead of time. Now, when they ask you to do it, do it again. Humor them because they're probably trying to work you through a process. Well, let's go through that. What is a basic troubleshooting step-by-step guide that we can do before we call the manufacturer? Clean your sensors, number one. Clean your sensors. If something's not working, clean your sensors. Go through a system, walk it, start to finish. Now, I'm not talking about two-hour walk, but if, if your connectivity is three times what it's supposed to be, it's not necessarily because the blowdown relay is not coming on. Make sure that your blowdown valve's coming on or not clogged up. And the screwdriver trick on the solenoid valve works just great. Turn it on. Go see if it's magnetized, right? If it's a motorized ball valve, which is a great idea on a blowdown, um, make sure it's opening up. Go do those things because they're going to ask you those things and it's going to be frustrating and it's going to be loud and it's going to be August in cooling season when it's happening. But, you know, go through your checklist. Make, you know, make sure that there's not a blown fuse. Make sure that your pump, no one adjusted your pump to the, you know, automatic control from the hand control position. Make sure your valves are opening. Make sure you've got chemical in your tank. You know, all those little things, they're going to ask you these things and it's going to be so offensive, but you know, you've got to, you've got to ask the questions. Blaine, we've covered a lot of ground today. So for somebody listening, hopefully they'll go back and they'll listen again and they'll get even more out of this episode. But what's the one thing that you want to make sure listeners take with them today? Oh, you know, I, I think it goes back to our discussion about your little piece of real estate. That is your office within that facility. Treat it as such. And that goes for your test kit. That goes for just the general cleanliness of the area. The whole plant could be dirty. That doesn't mean your area should be dirty. General maintenance and upkeep. I, I just I think that goes so far. It goes, it goes, equipment works better when it's clean. You know if you have a new leak or no leak. If you clean up your leak every time and you fix it and you come back and there's chemical, you know you're not saying, Oh, I think that was from last time. Because you know you cleaned it up last time, right? 
that is your little office within their within your customer's facility. And I think you want to you want to make sure that it's it's doing as promised. And you want to take all the ammunition away from your competitor that you can. You want to make sure that your eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed and all your ducks are in a row and all the other little things we can isms we can say. But I think that's the most important thing. And I think if you string all those things together, if you if you if you maintain things, if you keep things clean, if you fix things when they're broken and you keep things current, then then I don't think you have any problem. And though I'd love to sell everybody a controller, a new controller every year, I love it to hear that I'm still using a controller from 15 years ago. You sold me and it's working great. That that makes me equally as happy. So, you know, I I think that's what I take away is treat your every installation like it's a reflection of yourself and your company. That is great advice. And it just dawned on me. I didn't ask what H2Tronics does. H2Tronics, we are a, well, it, it depends who you ask, right? So if you go to ABT, most people think we're a software company because of the e-service application. And that's, that's true. That's true. Um, but, you know, a very, very large, a much larger percentage of our businesses and equipment. And we're an integrator. So we do, we do everything from distribute people's product lines to OEM people's product lines. We are a, a full-service PLC shop. We're an ASME welding shop, ADBS welding shop. We're a UL panel shop. Um, we're a CNC facility. We do, we do a, a, a lot of things people I don't think realize we do. We're a very large distributor of a lot of different people's products. We're an OEM for Wallcam, which means we integrate their systems into larger systems. But we're a full-service supplier, so we're sort of a one-stop shop. Um, we build skids, we build panels, we sell accessories. Uh, we support everything we sell, which is very, very important to us. And we do a lot, a lot more things than people, I think, know we do. We're getting up there in age. I think we're 12, maybe 13 years old now. We have... A good number of people here with our Aqua Phoenix merger, which is the best thing we've ever done. That's bringing a lot of production help in in processes and in systems and things like that. So uh, life's really good here. Well, Blaine, I will tell you that uh, Frank Lacrone, of course, uh, owner of Aqua Phoenix, he is more elusive than you are because I, of course, have you on the show now. Frank has... I think not made half a dozen appointments with me. Now he's canceled and let me know well in advance, but uh, he's the next one I'm wearing down next. So tell him I'm looking for him. He's, he's a blast. Um, he's a wealth of knowledge. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a second generation guy in his field. And he and I discussed this merger on and off over the years and, the, you know, the time was right. But he is a, he, you know, he's a character. He's bigger than life. He's a great guy, but I tell you what, he is really, really smart. I'm not just saying that because he signs my paycheck. He's a, you know, I wouldn't, I would not have aligned myself. We didn't need to do this, um, but um, his drive and his enthusiasm and his just industry knowledge is, is is great. Well, Blaine, this has been a lot of fun, but I'm not quite done yet. I've got some lightning round questions for you. So if you can uh, go ahead and fasten your seatbelt, it is anybody's game at this point. And I will remind you that the point values are tripled at this point. So my first question is uh, if anybody who's listened to the show knows that I am an avid fan of Back to the Future. So we are getting into the DeLorean. We are setting the time circuits back to the very first day that you started as a water treater. And you can now get out of the DeLorean and give yourself advice. What would that advice be? 
probably to pay a little closer attention to my elders. Water treatment's an apprentice business, and I was very fortunate in being exposed to some really, really smart people at the beginning. And, you know, I was in my 20s and thought I knew everything, and and uh, I, I probably could have learned a lot more a lot quicker had I just recognized that these guys with the gray hair and gals with the gray hair that have been doing this a while had a lot to offer me. You know, it's, it's definitely an apprentice business. I probably would have done a little better job with my apprenticeship. Blaine, you're very successful. You're CWT. You know what you're talking about. You're obviously reading some books. What are those books? <laughs> I've, I've read mind-numbing books and books that probably might surprise people. I think the last book I read was, uh, was a book called Horse Trading, which is a book written in the 70s by, uh, by a guy named Ben Green. It's about the art of horse trading, which I think translates very, very well. I'm, I'm kind of a horse guy, and I think that translates really well into you know modern business. I read a lot of spy books. I just read, um, in fact, everybody should read this book. It's really good. Terminal List by Jack Carr. It's really, really good. I read, read Brad Thor stuff. I just reread The Machine. Ah, oh, Justin Rothmarsh. He was on the show. I just reread that. Uh, I just reread The Goal, which I think anybody out there should read that's in manufacturing. That's kind of my go-to book for things like that. Frank LaCrone actually sent me The Goal a couple of years ago as a gift. It is a great read. I bought one for everybody in the company and offered them a sum of money to give me a book report on it. I believe it's, it's a good read. It's a fun read, too. It, it's, not a, it's, a, it's a business book, but it's written in the form of a fiction novel. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a fun read. It's really fun. It's a, it's, it's a great, great book. Who plays you in a movie? Uh, oh, my God. I have no idea. Does it have to look like me or can I pick anybody? You can pick anybody you like. Uh, how about Matthew McConaughey, Texas boy? Someone recently said Matthew McConaughey. Oh, is the Chick-fil-A interview that I just did. So he's, uh, I think he's getting extra point value on the Scaling Up show. Uh, and my final question, you can talk to anybody throughout history, who to be with and why. That'd be family members. My family, I've got kind of an interesting family. My dad was born on an internment camp in World War II. And I never really got to speak with any of my elder you know, I, my, I knew my grandparents, but my grandfather died when I was young, and my great grandparents I didn't know very well. I would have really liked to have talked to them about their journey here from Japan. I don't know that there's any person from the past, political or military, that I think I would could single out, but I think I'd love to put all my, you know, relatives over the last 200 years in a room and talk to them. It's a good answer, Blaine. We've learned a lot. We've laughed a little. Maybe we laughed a lot. And uh, this has been a, a lot of fun. So I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up. I want to thank you for inviting me on. Blaine, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know that we could have spent hours talking about equipment. Uh, Blaine had an appointment that he had to get to, so we had to keep the interview short. But there is no doubt about it, Blaine. We want to have you back. 
We didn't get a chance to talk about boiler installations. There's a whole slew of equipment that we did not have a chance to talk about. We're going to make sure that you come back and we talk about that. And if you have not examined the equipment that you are using and know those devices backwards and forwards, folks, I promise you, you are doing a disservice. Probably what you are missing out on is an opportunity to take advantage of one of the functions that that controller can do that might be able to ratchet your program up to the next notch. So my question to you is, how are you learning the next thing when it comes to equipment? How well do you actually know the equipment that you are using? Do you understand everything it does and how it does it? Do you understand how to feed your program multiple different ways because maybe there might be a better way than what you are doing that. If you learn the other ways, you're going to be able to make that determination. Here's what I have found in the water treatment industry. Somebody trains somebody how to use a particular piece of equipment and that's the piece of equipment that they use forever and ever and ever in their water treatment career. Or somebody taught somebody how to set something up on a controller and now that's the only way that they set their programs up. Not because it's the best way, but because they learned it once and they never bothered to learn anything else. If you have a great reason for using the same thing over and over again, that's fine. But if you don't know what the other ways, the other options are, that is not fine, folks. And I urge you to learn about the equipment that is running your programs. Blaine said, we can do a whole bunch to help ourselves if we do some homework before the installation process. So how well are you doing your homework? Are you going out on your surveys and diagramming everything that you need to know to install the equipment? Are you taking pictures? Are you talking with your customers and seeing what some potential issues could be? Are you doing your prefabrication before you go to the mechanical room? Are you programming your controller before you go to the mechanical room? Are you making sure that everything is working the way it should out of the box when you get it? If you are taking everything to the installation site and then figuring all that stuff out there, I promise you, it is not going to look as good as if you put more time into it up front. And as Blaine said, when we talk about equipment, it is all about aesthetics, but it's also about working properly. And I promise if you do a little bit of homework up front, that equipment is not only going to look better, it is going to work better, and it's going to do all of that with you spending less time to do it. The time that you invest on the front end will pay you back tenfold on the back end. What are the things that happens to your equipment that you constantly have to fix? Another way of asking that, or what are the top five to 10 things that you need to know how to troubleshoot with the equipment that you are using? Whether it's a controller, a pump, a valve, whatever it is, do you know what things 
fail or malfunction more often than others so you can take care of that without spending a lot of time. Do you know what tools you need to have with you if one of these issues were to occur so you don't have to come back to fix an issue? When you're there at regular service and you find an issue, do you have everything that you need so you can fix it right there and it doesn't become more costly? And when we talk about cost, when there's a malfunction like that, it's not only your time cost, it is also the equipment cost. Folks, it takes a long time to get a water treatment program the way that you want it and the way that is working properly. It takes seconds for that to go away. And now you have to overcome all those issues that happen when that piece of equipment was malfunctioning. If you now have to go and get a part or get a tool and come back, that's even more time that you have to overcome. So you're not always going to have everything that you need available to you to fix every single problem. But I promise if you start thinking about the top five to 10 issues that you face on a regular basis and you prepare for that, you are going to save yourself a wealth of time and your systems are going to thank you for it. You know, when we talk about troubleshooting, it's good to befriend the people that are selling you the equipment that you are buying. Ask them, what are the top few things that you have to make sure that you know how to do? And when we were talking about tools, what are some of the tools that you have to have in order to make some of these most common repairs? They're getting these calls on a regular basis so they can help give you this information. And do you know what the next thing is in the equipment? And when I say next, I don't necessarily mean what's coming out next, although that's really cool. If you're talking with your distributors, ask them, what is the next thing manufacturer X is working on? And then that can get you thinking about, well, that might work well for this account. And I can start talking to them about how this particular add-on will help them with a particular problem. But I'm talking about all the things that you know about the equipment. We talked about all the things that controllers can do now, that pumps can do now. What is the next thing that you're going to do with all of that that's going to elevate your account? When you elevate your water treatment program, you are showing your customer that you are staying on top of all of their water treatment needs. You're also finding ways to save them energy and to save them water. And folks, that translates into someone giving that person that's allowing you to come on that facility a high five because they're going to see that on their bottom line. And where did they get that high five from ultimately? Well, that was because you were staying on top of everything. You were putting their needs ahead of everything else. And because you knew that that piece of equipment could work a little bit differently to help save their system and either water or energy or do something else a little bit better, folks, they're going to recognize that. And I got to tell you, even if they don't, make sure they do. Let them know that you are doing these things and that you want to make sure they appreciate all the things that you do because you appreciate you being there. 
Every time you ask yourself a question like the ones that we just went through, I think you're making yourself smarter. You're making yourself smarter, and if you can work smarter, you don't have to work as hard because you are finding better ways to do things. So what are the questions that you need to ask yourself to get to the next level to understand what it is that you are working on? And folks, when you start learning new things, you do get smarter, and that smarter translates into you being more efficient and effective with what you are doing. There's so many people out there that in the beginning of their career, they ask a whole bunch of questions and then they stop learning. Folks, water treatment technology is continuously changing, and if we are staying the same, we are not keeping up with the industry. So ask yourself, what questions should I be asking myself on a regular basis and making sure that I'm continuously finding the answer for so I can make each and every day better because I'm getting smarter, I'm not staying the same. Well, folks, I mentioned this at the top of the show, but next week is Industrial Water Week. We, just like last year, are going to be celebrating Industrial Water Week with a brand new episode each and every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of next week. You are going to hear a new episode of Scaling Up H2O. So when you are celebrating this great holiday, make sure you're adding Scaling Up H2O to your celebration list of activities. And folks, if you know a water treater out there that does not listen to Scaling Up H2O, what a great time to tell them about it during Industrial Water Week. Folks, thank you so much for listening to Scaling Up H2O. Thanks for bringing me new ideas. Thanks for everything that you do as a member of the Scaling Up Nation. And I will talk to you next week during Industrial Water Week. 